prosperity, wealth, comfortable living, new technologies being created all of the time. I mean, it's an exciting era of greater and better. And yet the gap between the rich and the poor is just getting bigger and bigger. The rich are living lives more luxurious than ever and the poor are forgotten. And God, well, he's kind of been forgotten too. I mean, people have other things to worship now, don't they? God, he's a thing of the past. Self-indulgence, complacency, politics is messy and religious leaders are known more for their sin than their faithfulness. A society which is known for being filled with drunkenness and adultery. I mean, you only live once, right? Who is it that I am describing? Because it could be a fairly accurate description of today's society, couldn't it? And yet, actually, what I just described to you is the backdrop for the book of Hosea. A society that lived thousands of years ago and yet weirdly mirrors a lot of today's society. This book is God's response to those things that I just described. And so it's a pretty good book for us to be exploring in 2017 as we figure out how us as God's people, uh, how we live differently, how we live lives for God in this climate. Now, just want to add a little disclaimer here. Hosea is not a comfortable read. If you're wanting to hear something nice and fluffy, then these talks probably won't be for you. Um, I felt like God was calling me to speak about Jose about four months ago, and I was like, great. And I opened the book up, and I was like, oh, flip. Um, so, so you'll see what we've got in store, but it is great. Um, in these next four weeks, we're going to be challenged, stretched. We're probably going to be made to feel a little bit uncomfortable at times at some of the truths that this book talks about. But we will come out of it as a people who've asked the hard questions of ourselves and of the lives that we live in the midst of our society. And we'll be people who want to give more and more glory to God through the way that we live life. I'll tell you what, we'll also meet in it time and time again of a God who has absolute mercy on us and an incomprehensible love despite our messiness. So this week, we're going to be looking at the challenge of how we live day to day um, and how our lives match up to uh, what God is, who God has called us to be. And next week, we're going to be looking at our faithfulness to God, particularly in times of hardship. Uh, we're then going to be looking at idols and thinking about what we worship in 2017 and how to fix our eyes on just worshiping Jesus. Um, and then we're going to be looking at the incredible mercy of God and how Hosea points to Jesus. So... Who was Hosea? Well, he was just an ordinary guy, uh, not really known of, but God spoke to him about the society he was living in and how God felt about that. Hosea didn't only speak about what God was saying, but the really interesting thing is he became himself a living, breathing parable, which makes this book even more interesting. So we're just going to have a look at the first couple of verses. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, 
and she conceived and bore him a son. So we've got this ordinary guy, Hosea, and God has asked him to marry a prostitute, Gomer, and have children with her so that his marriage would represent something of what God's relationship with his people had become. I just want to make this really clear. We are Goma, okay? This isn't a story really about a woman being promiscuous. This is about the fact that we are all unfaithful to God in both big and small ways. Yes, this was written to the Israelites thousands of years ago, but it's still as true now as it ever was. I don't think there's probably anybody in this room that can say they've never been distracted from God or they've never been pulled by the things of this world. Uh, I also want to make it really clear uh, that this book wasn't written to everyone. It was written to God's people. So it's not actually talking about the problems of the time or the problems of society, which we can often point blame to. It's speaking directly to us about our unfaithfulness and nobody else's and how we need to live for God in our culture. You know, there's no beating around the bush here, is there? Uh, For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty uh, of unfaithfulness to the Lord. God's not wrapping it up in cotton wool, is he? He's not saying, oh, if you could just stop doing that, that'd be great. Uh, No, we're being unfaithful to him. And to God, this feels the same as if you were married to someone and you knew they were going after someone else. That's what our unfaithfulness feels like to God. Because we're in a relationship with him, but it doesn't look much like a relationship when we keep going after other things. Now, something that is amazing here, which I think we often like look over in this book, is Hosea's faithfulness to God. So in what God's asked him to do, I think it's amazing. Uh, God says, go, go marry a promiscuous woman. And what does it say? So he married Gomer. He was a man that despite the society he lived in, despite how strange God's request of him might seem, he had his eyes fully fixed on God and lived according to him and nothing else. He was somebody who stood out from his society, who went against the grain. He's a perfect example for God to use as a contrast to the unfaithfulness of his people. So we're going to see what happens to him next. Who could have the next verses up, please? Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them not by sword or battle or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, Then the Lord said, call him low am I, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Can you imagine? So you have two kids, 
And before, uh, before you have them, you have those chats with your wife, like, oh, what are we going to name them? You get the A to Z baby book out. You have those debates. Is it going to be a baby Gary or a baby Steve? And you choose a name, but you don't tell anybody. And then you have the baby, and you're ready to announce. You've got the Facebook post on. And then God's like, actually, I really want you to call him not one of God's people. And I really want you to call her not loved. Can you imagine? I, I dread to think of like the playground scenes like, could you get off the slide unloved? Do you know? Like, <laughs> we're going home, not my people. Do you know? Like, it just, just wouldn't be great for your self esteem. Um, so, why did God ask Hosea to do it? Why did he ask Hosea to name his two children, these names which aren't really very nice, not loved and not my people? Was he just being really mean? Did he not like Hosea? Or was it to shock his people into realizing what their relationship with God had become? That in the same way that these children were called and loved and not God's people, that that is what they had become in the way that they were living their lives. So there's two things God's saying here. You are acting as though you're not loved by me, and you're acting as though you're not my people. Now, we can read this, and it can seem like something of judgment or wrath, but it's not. It's because it's what the Israelites have actually been speaking over themselves. It's not really what God has called them. It's what they've been living out. They've called them this themselves. Their lives, their words, their thoughts have spoken out to themselves and to other people around them that they are not loved by God and that they are not his people. It's not what God has put on them. It's what they've put on themselves. So don't read this and think that, that God is being judgmental. It's something that they've put on them. Do you know what's really shocking about this passage? And it's something that we can actually miss in our reading of it today. So all the way through the Old Testament, right from the start at Genesis, God promises his people that he is their God and they are his people. This is who they are, the Israelites. This is their identity throughout their history as a people. It's absolutely integral to who they are. And now here is God saying, you're no longer acting like my people and that would have really hit home. And today, perhaps we don't think of ourselves as God's people, but we are. We are a part of this ancient promise from long ago. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you became a part of his family. This became your history, and you became a part of God's team. And in our lives, we are representing his people. Now, we can start to think of this in terms of actions or words, like, oh, if I, if I do this or if I say this, then maybe God will be pleased. And that is not what this is about. It's about who or what our identity is currently found in. Because actually, when our identity is in the knowledge that we are loved by God and that we are his people, then that just changes you. When you know those two things to the depths of your being, that he loves you no matter what, and that you belong to him, your life should automatically speak that out to the world. If you've grasped these two truths, then no matter what the world offers you, no matter what distractions are in your way, no matter when you mess up, you know your identity is in his love and being in his family, and nothing can or will change that. Uh, one of my young people on the bus that I work on, I work on a youth bus, um, she became a Christian um, recently. And really interesting, her friends have said to her, you're not a Christian, you can't be. 
And the reason they say that is they say, we know what you've done in the past. We know what your life is like, and we know what you do, what you say. You're not a Christian. You're not one of them. And the thing is that they don't know. They don't know that she is loved by God, and they don't know that she is one of his people. And so she is a follower of Jesus. So never let anybody define you or who or whose you are. Do you know, I love us to be a church that really got these truths to, down to our core, to just not just know them in our heads, like, oh, I know I'm loved by God, I know I'm his child, but to know them to our core, uh, that our whole lives would come from this place, our decisions, our day-to-day -day tasks, our relationships with people, all rooted in the knowledge that we are loved and are part of his family. So where might our lives look different if this is what we're rooted in? The time you spend with your non-Christian friends, I reckon, would look different if this was at your center. When you feel like you just really can't be bothered with this Christian stuff anymore, it looks different when you remember you're loved and you're part of his family. When you're on a night out and the way that you, you, the way that you approach that, the way that you respond to that environment, that changes when you're centered on these two things. Your approach to work, study, family, they all look different. Now, what's really important in all of this is the thing that God says right at the end of this passage. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. And then right at the end, say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. And you might be like, what? He's just said that uh, they're not loved by him and that we're not his people. And now he's saying we are. That doesn't make sense. In a lot of ways, it doesn't, because we don't act faithfully towards God. We don't act like his children. We don't act like we're loved by him. And yet we believe in a God of absolute mercy. Yes, we mess up again and again, and we turn our attention away from God, but God sees that, and he says to us, in that place, you are a child of the living God. We know we're no longer living under the reign of sin. It no longer has a hold on us. So this is not a talk that's planned to make you wallow in guilt or shame for where we've missed the mark. What it's about is about recognizing that we're loved by God, that we're his people, and that needs to change our purpose and change the way that we move forward, not looking back. It's not out of guilt, but it's out of a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, please... Don't leave here and not change anything. Okay, we've all got areas in our lives where we need to make God the center where he currently isn't. I don't know what that is for you. It'll be something different for me. We all need to be rooted in him in all areas, and there'll be specific ones that you're thinking of right now. Let's not be a people who are stagnant in the way that we live. If you're not regularly challenging yourself in how you live your life, then that does need to change. Because we're not called to be stagnant people. We're not called to be a comfortable people. We're called to be a people who are constantly fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking at him, and that changing the way that we live our life daily, that we're constantly realigning ourselves with him. If you know that there's an area of your life where you need to declare that you are loved by God in that place, and you need to declare that you are one of his people there, then please don't leave here and not change anything. Let this be a start 
of a shift in your focus and in your identity. Because you are loved and you are part of his family and you must let that change you.